Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Thanks for joining me. I am very happy for this episode to be joined by Murad Awada, who is the executive director of the New York Immigration Coalition and New York Immigration Coalition Action, which is sort of the political arm of the New York Immigration Coalition, uh, separate, separate entities, but uh, share Murad as executive director, and I'm sure some other uh, folks involved on both sides of the organization as well. Murad, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. So we want, you get, you have such a broad agenda. You have federal, state, city uh, things happening. You were involved on the political side, on the, uh, on the elections that just occurred. There's advocacy ongoing at all levels of government. So much going on. I wanted to talk to you about a bunch of things. And then when I was preparing for this, I, I couldn't believe how long the list was getting. Um, so let's try to let's try to touch on a lot uh, in the time we have together here. But um, let's start at the local level in the city. Uh, we just had this election cycle that, of course, so much of the city and the state and the country was paying attention to, at least at the mayoral level. But so much going on down the ballot as well. Tell us uh, a little bit about how. Uh, New York Immigration Coalition action was involved in the election cycle and some of your takeaways from what we saw in the primaries. Sure, um, NYC action made over 35 endorsements in this past election cycle in the primary in New York City. And I think we have about 30 of the 35 winning. Um, there are you know, a number of different takeaways that I would uh, want to highlight my primary takeaway is that the election that we just saw happen back in June 22nd actually elected the most diverse city council in our city's history. Um, I'm also particularly excited that the new class of council members um, who are predominantly women, uh, you know, they are new Americans, second generation immigrants, people of color, activists, and so much more. Um, you know, whether they're incumbents with solid records of advocacy or first time candidates seeking to shake up politics as usual with the progressive vision for the city, the new class of council members campaigned on platforms that clearly underscored their commitments um, to giving voice to immigrant New Yorkers and working families who've been ignored. Um, so I think that there's a lot to say um, on the individual candidates, but there's too many of them who are all amazing. Um, and I think those are those are my big takeaways from uh, the primary. What were the biggest qualifications for a city council candidate to be endorsed by NYIC Action? What what were the top things that you were looking for? Yeah, um, we put out a vision for New York City's future back in December of 2020, and that's when our endorsement process actually began. Um, candidates who wanted our support, our endorsement needed to sign the pledge. And then upon doing that, they were given a questionnaire on a lot of core issues really important to immigrant communities across the five boroughs in New York City. Um, and through that, our membership had screenings and then our board made final decisions on, you know, who to endorse and who, you know, to pass on. Um, and a lot of the big issues that we have seen um, really bubble up for our members has been really making sure that our education system is not leaving any students behind, um, especially with COVID. The past two uh, 
academic years have really hit immigrant students the hardest. Um, and the Department of Education had an opportunity with the federal stimulus dollars to actually invest in those students and they chose not to. Um, so we want to see the new city council, the new administration really invest in immigrant students. We want to see legal services funding continue. We want to see um, real engagement of immigrant communities on a whole, um, you know, especially thinking about investments that are going to really provide immigrants with upward economic mobility, like not just legal services, but adult literacy education, immigrant healthcare access is also a top issue of ours, and also behavioral health issues, access. How much is uh, your work right now and this election cycle, the end of this current city government, the looking ahead to the next, how much is it um, impacted, focused on sort of the recovery from the pandemic and trying to help families that were devastated, who lost loved ones, who lost work, who lost businesses? Uh, how much is that sort of a dominant theme? I'm sure it's a, a very dominant one. It's dominant across the city, but I'm sure especially in many immigrant communities that you work with and in. For 30 years, the New York Immigration Coalition has been, you know, with a megaphone screaming that there was injustice and equity happening in immigrant communities and communities of color across the city. And the silver lining of COVID, unfortunately, has been that now those hit the hardest have always been the most marginalized and most vulnerable within our city. Um, more needs to be done to ensure a full and equitable recovery for every New Yorker. Immigrant New Yorkers also need a reallocation of resources from the criminal legal system that targets far too many black and brown New Yorkers. Um, and actually taking that, re, taking those resources and reinvesting them in those communities. So our platform and our issues have not really shifted significantly um, due to COVID because they are the same issues, just worse now because of COVID. Um, and, you know, while we're disappointed that a lot of these issues weren't addressed in the FY22 um, budget, we're looking forward to working with um, this administration and the next one to ensure immigrant New Yorkers will have a chance at a just and equitable recovery. Um, you can't, as a city, recover without including everyone. So it's the same thing that we saw with, you know, COVID um, and the vaccine and education. We need to ensure that every New Yorker has uh, PPE, that every New Yorker has access to the vaccine, and that people are actually taking these measures to heart so that we're all collectively um, in this together and coming out of it better and stronger at the end. Mm -hmm. And um, in terms of, of uh, we'll, we'll jump around here a little bit between the elections and, and sort of the current policy and current programming, in terms of what you just mentioned on uh, COVID vaccination, what's your sense? Uh, obviously, immigrant communities in New York City, there's such a diversity, um, and, and so it's, it's often impossible, really, to, to talk broadly about immigrant communities um, in, in one fell swoop. But how do you assess sort of where uh, COVID vaccination is in, in some of the predominantly immig immigrant communities of the city and what can and should be done to improve uh, vaccination rates? I think there, 
there's naturally hesitancy with any new drug or any new, uh, you know, medical achievement. And I think that we've seen that happen, not just within immigrant communities, but across the city and the state and the nation, to be quite frank with you, where people are hesitant on getting the vaccine, but the vaccine actually is the best preventative measure to stop COVID. Um, and within immigrant communities, what we're seeing is that there's a, there's a real digital divide, right? So early on in the vaccines rollout, to get an appointment, you had to do it online. What we also saw during COVID is that the education system went completely remote and our students who are in New York City Department of Education schools were not afforded or given uh, the resources to actually do their schoolwork like internet and tablets. It's the same issue here where parents didn't know and family immigrant families didn't know how to access a vaccine appointment. So I think that there is education that needs to continue to happen on the vaccine and the importance of it. And really, you know, a large scale, uh, you know, grassroots campaign needs to be kicked off. And I think that we're, as the New York Immigration Coalition and our member bases, member organizations are doing that, right? Um, I would say that the immigrant communities, um, the undocumented community has a huge distrust within the government, especially after the last four years with the Trump administration. So that one-on-one -on -one contact is really critical to give, getting them the right information and getting them to get vaccinated. But I do think that immigrant communities are eager to be part of the recovery and the vaccine is just one step in that. Mm -hmm. um, is there any, anything specific you would say right now to Mayor de Blasio as he's starting to implement some, you know, sort of dip his toes in some requirements for city employees around either getting vaccinated or, sub, you know, submitting regular COVID tests. Is there anything particular as the city really tries to combat the Delta variant and take the vaccination effort up a notch to, to the most hesitant? Um, anything, any specific ask you have right now of the mayoral administration that's directly related to ensuring that immigrant communities really get the education, the outreach that they need? Absolutely. I think that the giving credit where it's due, uh, Mayor de Blasio and his administration launched the Test and Trace Corps. Through that, they also partnered with community-based organizations to do outreach and education. Specifically in the beginning, they were doing uh, giving out PPE and making sure that everyone had masks and hand sanitizer. Um, and now that work has shifted a bit. I think that the mayor should triple or quadruple the amount of resources in that program to ensure that communities and community-based partners are able to do the work that's necessary to get everyone vaccinated. Um, you know, go back to 2019 when we worked with the city on launching the census outreach program. We have the organizations. We just need the resources to get to these organizations to actually do that mass flooding of communities with, uh, you know, navigators, community organizers, uh, community health workers, just to get the information out there and to support people in getting their appointments to get the vaccine. So, you know, I saw the, the city census director, Julie Menon, who just won her city council primary uh, on the Upper East Side. I saw her write an op-ed months ago about, you know, the city should use the, the census network that, that was built to do vaccination. What's the gap there? What, any, any sense of why this hasn't happened in the same way? Is it just uh, you know, a different way of, of sort of centralizing control here that the mayor has taken on? Is it related at all to, to state and federal issues? You know, the city and the state um, eventually 
came through on resources for community-based organizations to move communities into filling out the census, right? Um, Julie Menon and the census team that she put together, Amit Baga, and a number of other folks were really critical in like helping community leaders and community organizations who have been critical to the success of the census. I know that we were short like 89 people to not lose a seat, but we were slated to lose two seats. Right. And we have that network. And that's something that we've been saying since you know the vaccine was announced that it was going to be coming out. We said, if this is coming out, we need to do mass scale education. I think there was a bit of hesitancy in the beginning because we didn't have enough vaccines to go around for everyone, which is why there is a prioritization. Um, so I think that I wholeheartedly agree. That was a recommendation we put out early on mm -hmm. that that network be reactivated, not just in the city, but at the state level um, to really get people um, vaccines in their arms as quickly as possible. These organizations that did the census outreach work were trained on how to manage turf so that there was no duplication in efforts and you know, really have um, the highest impact and be most effective in getting to people as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe that NYSC Action made an endorsement in the mayoral race. I know you put out a scorecard. The eventual winner of the primary, Eric Adams, didn't respond to the questionnaire um, that, that led to the scorecard on your policy priorities. What's your reaction to Eric Adams's win and your sort of concerns and your hopes uh, about his likely mayoralty? You know, as far as an Eric Adams administration goes, we're ready to work with him to continue to build immigrant power in New York City. Um, you know, we're particularly encouraged because Adams has been one of uh, probably one of the longest time supporters of the New York Immigration Coalition's Our City, Our Vote campaign which is working right now to pass a bill allowing green card holders and people with uh, work authorization in the city to vote in municipal elections. So we're hopeful that, you know, we'll be able to work with him. You know, I think one piece here is that his success as mayor impacts us all. So we all want the city to have a full recovery. We all want to be part of ensuring that our city um, takes care of everyone and that will define the success of his administration. And I think that we're all here to ensure that our city is able to bounce back. And by doing that, working with his administration and getting everything back on track. Now, some of your top priorities, um, and, and I, I'm not gonna be able to go through all of them. You mentioned some of them. We can talk about a couple. Folks can find a lot of this on your website, whether it's the uh, Immigration Coalition website or the Immigration Coalition Action website, there's a lot of information. but. Eric Adams has spoken to a number of your priorities. Some of them he clearly agrees with. Uh, just as you said, he's been a supporter of this campaign to extend municipal voting to uh, many non-citizens. Um, other items that are high on your list, reducing the NYPD budget by at least a billion dollars. He obviously ran not supporting that. So it seems like there's a little bit of a mixed bag, but he, you know his, his campaign certainly focused a lot on more holistic education and understanding, you know, all learners and investing in, in learners. And there's a lot to your platform there. So it seems like there's room to work together, but also I'm sure some concerns on the, on the policing front. Yeah. I think that we have a lot more in common than we do that's different where there's difference. Um, I think the policing front is one that we're going to have to really have a, a conversation about. I think we can't keep investing 
um, so heavily in policing our communities while we're not investing in them to begin with. So the safest communities in New York City have the most resources going into them. We want all communities that have been impacted um, by you know, bad criminal justice uh, efforts and bad policing to actually get the same amount of resources or more um, than what they've been getting, which that itself will reduce crime on its own. Um, and, you know, I think he's been saying, since he's won the primary, I think, you know, after his White House visit, you know, him talking about community partnerships and making sure that um, those most impacted have a seat at the table. I think that there's a number of organizations who are doing amazing work, like Erica Ford at Life Camp, um, to stop violence in communities and communities of color. Um, and, you know, we want those kinds of programs, gun prevention programs to be funded so that they're actually doing the work on the ground um, at a level that is sustaining, right? So that we're not constantly going back and forth and having this tussle between um, should this program be reinvested in when we know it's saving lives and reducing crime as opposed to, you know, investing in more policing. Um, and there's some stuff that we have to have a conversation about that the NYPD shouldn't be doing. Um, they shouldn't be responding to, you know, mental health issues um, as they're coming in through 911 operators. They shouldn't be responding to um, homeless folks, uh, you know, loitering. That's not that, that's not combating crime. And also, when you re when you invest this much money in policing, police show up after something happens. They're not there to stop it before it happens. That what stops stuff from happening at the onset is actually the work that needs to happen in communities, right? Um, investing in programs, investing in resources um, to the most marginalized and vulnerable communities so that we are getting them out of um, this lack of investment from the city, state, and federal government that these communities have faced for decades at this point. Um, always will let uh, someone as powerful as a, as a likely next mayor speak for themselves. But I'll, I'll note, I guess, that, you know, Eric Adams has a, a policing philosophy that, you know, is along the sort of proactive lines. I imagine if he was, you know, chatting with us here, he would, he would disagree with your characterization a little bit about how, you know, police are not there to prevent. I think he has a, a different philosophy on that. But um, uh, yeah, and he, he has, you know, he'll have a different <laughs> philosophy on a lot of the yeah. issues that we have. Um, that our city's been facing, and this is not a new issue that, you know, Mayor de Blasio fell into. Um, this has been a systemic issue. Um, and as long as we continue to not invest in communities, then we're going to continue to have the same um, issues. Because let's look at it, right? We've invested the most money we've probably ever invested it in policing this past year. And, you know, it's happy. I was happy to see the stats come out you know, unfortunately, after the primary, but, you know, all the information that was going out and about was saying that crime is at astronomical levels, right? So if we continue to go down this path, like if we have invested so much money in this, in the strategy, and it's not working, when do we take a step back and reassess what are we doing here? Um, I want to come back to the Our City, Our Vote campaign in a second. Um, I also want to come back to Eric Adams and policing, uh, but just in terms of the broad strategy of uh, there is a general election, of course, on many other episodes of the show and segments I've noted, and I'll note again, we're not 
going to totally discount the possibility of something happening in the you know general election where uh, Eric Adams doesn't win. Anything can happen in politics. We say he's likely to win. There's an overwhelming Democratic enrollment advantage in New York City. He'll have a lot more money than Curtis Lee when others on the ballot. But there is, of course, a general election. That being said, how does how do you how does your organization try to um, get the ear of the likely next mayor in this situation? Are you are you trying to set up a meeting between yourself and Eric Adams? Do you talk to people like Idanis Rodriguez, who is very close to him? Um, you know, who, who obviously represents a community in upper Manhattan with a lot of immigrants and you've worked with on issues. Uh, is it other folks you've endorsed for the city council races that you're working more closely with? What's the sort of strategy around making sure that now you're developing more of that relationship and getting a lot of these both areas where you seem to agree and then concerns, you know, how do you get a lot of this across in a proactive way? You know, I, we've worked with um, Eric Adams as the Brooklyn Borough President for since he's been elected, right. um, and he's shown up to you know every instance that we've needed him to. Um, you know, he is someone who does show up often, and you know we have a no, you know all of the above. We can reach out to his supporters, but we can also reach out to him directly. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know we're touching base with our membership and making sure that you know we're moving forward in the right direction. And he is most certainly the likely winner and victor mm-hmm. in the November general. Sure. So, you know, we're, we're, we'll be proactively reaching out to um, him, his folks, uh, as well as his campaign. So it seems like, um, again, on things like increasing funding for adult literacy and a number of other things on your agenda, he would probably be very receptive. There's going to be some of those conversations around policing and police activity and police funding. Is one of your big concerns about an Adams administration or even if somehow the you know the de Blasio administration was continuing or any other mayor, is, your, is one of your biggest concerns that there's some kind of rollback or adjustment in um, how the NYPD and the city administration interacts with federal uh, immigration enforcement. Is there, it, uh, is there anything that could be changed on that without a willing uh, city council? Is the sort of city sanctuary city status pretty locked in at this point? What's, what's on the agenda on that front? Um, you know, one thing that folks don't actually recall is that Rudy Giuliani is the person who moves forward um, the first sanctuary uh, process in the city, right? So it doesn't, I think, you know, when you have sanctuary policies, what that does is actually it, it allows community members, everyone to feel safe if they needed to call for help or go to a hospital or, you know, any aspect of life, going into their child's school, right? Um, they feel a lot more comfortable if they know that the school isn't gonna send their information to uh, federal authorities. So I don't think um, that the Adams administration would do anything to roll back any of the sanctuary policies. I do think that we should be talking to them and trying to figure out how do we, and with the new class of council members, um, specifically on, you know, there there was a carve out within the the detainers bill, um, which outlined what specifically the NYPD or the Department of Corrections would hold someone for um, ICE. And I think that we want to eliminate the carve out. And the same thing- Right, that's exactly what I was thinking about is if there were potentially other offenses, alleged offenses, you know, that 
you know, perhaps yeah. could be changed, added to that list, taken off that list, et cetera. So yeah, so that's that's yeah. something. So I think that's something that we would work mm -hmm. with, but that would be done through the city council. The carve out for legal services was done by Mayor de Blasio's administration. Right. So we'd want to work with his administration to undo that. Um, to so ensure that, we, that anybody facing deportation gets uh, legal services funded through the yes, city. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. Uh, and do you have any sense of, of where Eric Adams is on the specifics there, or that's a little too in the weeds right now? I think that's a little bit too in the weeds right now, but um, having worked with him on other issues regarding, um, you know, he was one of the most vocal advocates um, during the Muslim ban uh, fight that we had. He, you know, gave Borough Hall, like, that he gave uh, the community all of Borough Hall to really be able to rally there um you know has been part of you know pushing back on the trump administration um so i don't think that he would uh you know be someone who's completely against it right now mm -hmm. um, but these are conversations we have to have and you know build with his administration as they you know take office in the new year all right this um our city our vote campaign you're hopeful about Eric Adams's support on that, but there is still a, a number of months here. We're talking in, in late-ish July. Um, is there hope for this bill to pass under this mayor and this city council that would extend municipal voting rights um, to many non-citizens uh, who are legal residents? You know, we just hit the 34 number of co-sponsors on the bill um, just right before the primary. And we have an enormous amount of support in the council. Borough elected officials have supported this bill. Um, and, you know, we're hopeful that we'll see movement on this bill this year under Speaker Johnson's leadership. And, you know, there's a lot that has happened over the past, you know, 18 months that really um, we have to have a conversation with ourselves as a city. We deemed immigrants as essential. They were caretakers in hospitals, nursing homes, doctors, uh, folks who were, uh, you know, in the supermarkets working as cashiers, uh, delivery workers, um, you know, and we, we clap for them every night at 7 p.m. So I think the best clap that we can give people is giving them a voice in our municipal elections. Um, and this isn't like a, you know, a, a program that hasn't happened. It's happened here in New York City with the school board elections before school boards were uh, taken away. Um, it's happening in other cities. Um, in San Francisco, they have that uh, same program with the school boards. In other towns and cities across the U.S., they're doing it. So, you know, New York City would set the stage for bigger cities to do it as well. Um, and, you the, know, the mayor's, pretty, the mayor's pretty unsold on this, correct? You know, in theory, he supports it, mm -hmm. but has said uh, he would veto it. Um, so that's why we've been really pushing to get to the veto proof majority, which we've, we believe we, we are at now. And this will likely come down to the speaker deciding whether to make this a priority to take on this potential battle with the mayor in these final months. What's, what do you think Corey Johnson's going to do here? Um, I think I have hope in, uh, speaker Johnson. I know that, uh, he's 
you know, just in this past budget, he restored and increased funding for a number of different initiatives, uh, specifically for immigrant communities, and has been a champion of immigrant communities. So I look forward to him, you know, getting the hearing on the books and then helping us move the bill through uh, the council. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we'll be we'll be watching that closely. All right. Some other things we want to chat with you about. Like I said, there's such a long list of of interesting issues and priorities and important matters here. Um, the state is about to launch this ex excluded workers fund, undocumented New Yorkers, uh, a, a fund of billions of dollars was created in the most recent state budget uh, to release grants to those workers. What should people know about that? What are you doing in terms of preparation for that system going, uh, going up? What are your concerns? What are your hopes? So currently the Department of Labor is hammering out um, the timing on when the applications actually go live. I think it's gonna happen in August. Um, in the meantime, we're working with both elected officials and our member agencies across the state um, to ensure that every eligible New Yorker can access the Fund for Excluded Workers. Um, it's a two-tiered program, um, one where, you know, depending on um, the amount of, you know, proof that folks have, um, they can get upwards of almost $16,000 um, because this population has not been able or allowed to actually access unemployment benefits. So this would serve as a way to give people this incredible opportunity and lifeline right now who have, you know, for the most part been been not able to work and also uh, help them catch up on uh, whatever they need catching up on. You know, it's been a really hard past 18 months and a lot of folks in the immigrant community have not been able to access any uh, resources that folks um, have gotten similar right, the massive the massive amount of federal aid, the increased unemployment, none of this has reached a large no. population of New Yorkers. Nope, and the Fund for Excluded Workers would help those folks catch up. And so it seems to me we're, we're seeing a little bit of this play out with the the rent program where that seems to have gotten off to a very tough start. The state's, you know, rollout of of helping people pay back rent and and trying to, you know, avoid a massive eviction situation when the eviction moratorium runs out. And this seems like a similar process about to unfold, except much more dicey in terms of people being able to provide paperwork. And, and as you were getting at, there's even a two-tiered system around what kind of paperwork you're able to provide. How is this going to, I mean, <laughs> how is this going to go? And are you, uh, how, how does, you know, what should people be thinking about in terms of trying to make sure it goes more smoothly than we're seeing with, um, you know, the rent arrears program that the state has been running? You know, I think, with the the Fund for Excluded Workers Coalition, the New York Immigration Coalition, and a number of other organizations have been, uh, you know, trying to advocate to the Department of Labor, who's running the Fund for Excluded Workers program, um, and giving them guidance. Right, like we want this program to be successful. This is the this is a historic investment. It's two point one billion dollars with a B. Um, this is never has ever happened anywhere in the nation um, to this level. Um, and even, you know, to the housing program as well. That's a huge program too. And I think that the, um, the state needs to figure out like what supports it needs to actually make these programs be as smooth as possible. But I do think that the amount of need is not being met because it's so huge. 
um, you know, millions of people were unemployed. Millions of people are behind on rent. Millions of people have not gotten support um, in the state. So I think with these programs launching, um, it really comes down to the state and the agencies that run them to ensure that they're as smooth as possible. Like yesterday, for instance, um, I was looking at, uh, you know, uh, a few friends of mine are supporting folks and uh, through their organizations um, and filling out their assistance for, you know, uh, to get back rent paid and the system keeps crashing. That yeah. just shows you how many people are actually accessing the portal um, so if the need is that great, I think the, the state just needs to figure out how to buy up more RAM or whatever it is. I'm not an IT person to make sure that the website keeps operating, but I do know that they're getting inundated with requests at the same time. So I think there's like, uh, to give them some credit, you know, the program was up and running pretty quickly for state standards. Um, but it needs to, the demand needs to be met at the same time. Mm-hmm. And we, we hope that it, the demand will be met when the Fund for Excluded Worker applications go live. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, we're, we're going to hit a couple more quick things. I appreciate all the time. This is Ben Max talking with Murad Awauda of the New York Immigration Coalition, New York Immigration Coalition Action. Uh, appreciate the time. We're definitely going to be watching the rollout of the Excluded Workers Fund um, and hoping that goes a little more smoothly than than this uh, rent uh, and uh, mortgage money that's that's rolling out from the state. Uh, again, none of this is, of course, easy to manage and and uh, massive as amounts of need, as you said. Um, all right. So the um, on the sort of city state level, one of the biggest things unfolding right now, we just wrote about this at Gotham Gazette, is the redistricting process. Uh, a commission is about to start is starting its work to hold public hearings, to get feedback about uh, how people identify in their communities. They want to, they're going to be redrawing city council districts, state legislative districts, congressional districts, and tasked with, um, you know, trying to make sure that communities are kept whole within these districts and there's not too much gerrymandering and so forth. What are you watching for there, advocating for there, um, and what's on the agenda as this process is starting to unfold? And it's gonna, it's gonna really move pretty quickly the rest of the year here. Yeah, um, the process just kicked off. Um, I think what is it just kicked off on July twentieth mm-hmm. um, with the hearings that are happening. Um, the pre-hearings that are happening from the Independent Commission. Um, our state and federal representation does not reflect the growth of our state's Latino and Asian populations and communities. Um, The work we're doing at the New York Immigration Coalition and NYC Action, uh, we launched Mapping Our Future, which is a coalition um, of organizations across the state um, that want to ensure that they have consumer voting strength and political power. Um, New New York's immigrant communities and communities of color are in many cases gerrymandered by splitting being split into numerous uh, districts, uh, which then dilutes their power and their strength um, and prevents them from electing candidates of their choice. Um, When people can't elect their representatives from their community, they end up with elected officials that don't prioritize their needs. Um, Redistricting is also, and New York has historically been closed in a, a very opaque process 
Um, so we're, we're asking and demanding for a fully open and transparent process that includes public education, regular updates, public meetings, and so much more. Um, and we're demanding fair districts and fair representation. Um, and we need to ensure that our voices are heard and that our needs are prioritized in that process as well. Are there, is there a level of government? Is it congressional? Is it state legislative? Is it city council? Is there a particular level of government where the districts have been most uh, problematic to you? Is it sort of a holistic look at it? Are there specific immigrant communities that have been the most sort of egregiously hurt in these districts that you could point to? Uh, you know, what are- I would, I would point to um, the 2010 districts that were drawn um, and look at the state districts, right? State Senate, some assembly districts were draw, like pretty much dividing up communities. You know, if you look at Sunset Park, right? Where there was a huge, there was a growing Asian population um, in the Eastern part of Sunset Park, um, which connects with other parts. You can also see that that neighborhood was cut up between four different assembly districts, right? Mm -hmm. The same thing in uh, the Senate districts, where you see them kind of like crisscrossing people's backyards um, and these weird shaped districts taking shape to ensure that, you know, at the time, the people who were drawing these in the Republican set were Republicans in the Senate um, and they wanted to maintain control. But what they didn't plan for was population growth and people moving <laughs> um, in the state. So I think that that is what has provided for um, the Senate districts to flip in a lot of these different places. So, you know, we don't want this to, we want the process to be fair from the onset so that we actually have districts that don't need population growth um, or people moving into different parts of the state to really prioritize community needs. But having communities pick their districts that then allow them to pick their elected officials as opposed to elected officials picking the districts that they want, um, I think is the priority for us. Yeah, the, the New York State Senate districts are notoriously gerrymandered and, you know, we're done so in that agreement to to at least help the state Senate Republicans keep keep a majority, which they did for much of the last decade until recently, as you noted. Um, so there's probably a lot of, of potential for those state Senate districts to be redrawn. That'll be that'll be very interesting. And the assembly districts were redrawn to maximize Democratic advantages, although, you know, those were pretty significant in the assembly already. Um, but that'll be that'll be very interesting to watch, and and of course the city council and, and the congressional districts as well. There's some real gerrymandering of some of those in, in New York City. All right, finally, Murad, um, on the federal level, uh, you know, at Gotham Gazette and on this show, we mostly stick to city and state issues. But you have such a focus here uh, on some issues at the federal level that would have such ramifications in New York City. Um, there's you're you're you have a strong push going that the federal government acts on a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants in some of the upcoming packages that are expected to be dealt with in Washington. Uh, what's the top push there and how hopeful are you that something is possible? Um, you know, not too long ago, we uh, saw the Senate Democrats come to a resolution on what they wanted to include in the budget reconciliation process. And we're happy to see that there's a pathway um, for legalization for dreamers, um, temporary protected status holders, and essential workers uh, was actually included in the Democrats infrastructure package. Um, you know, we're holding, we're, we've been holding events and um, 
rallies, you know, digital days of actions to really pressure um, leaders, our leaders from New York who are in leadership, um, you know, Senator Schumer, um, our congressional members who are in leadership um, to really um, hold the line and ensure that the package is passed with uh, legalization in there. And I think that we've gotten, a, you know, from where we were last uh, December to where we are now, we've made significant strides in this process. And we're looking forward to, you know, having this come to a close with the possibility of legalization for more than hopefully 5 million people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we cannot continue um, to have folks who we deem essential when it's appropriate and when it's beneficial to um, other communities not be able to have a pathway to actually legalize and then uh, attain citizenship down the road. Mm-hmm. Playing devil's advocate in our last couple of minutes here, I mean, this this seems like it's going to be a really tough haul, even if you know Democrats use their very slim Senate uh, majority that necessitates all 50 of their votes plus the vice president. Um, do you do you really see uh, Joe Manchin and others going along with this? You know, Senator Manchin came out a lot, you know, when this proposal was announced and said that he supports um, the immigration clause in it. So we're, we're excited to hear that, that that was an enormous amount of work that went into getting him there from local organizers that are doing amazing work in West Virginia and the same for Senator, uh, Cinema, right? Like we have, we're the New York immigration coalition is part of the fair immigration reform movement, which I am the co-chair of, um, where we have, um, Oh, it's a network of over 40 uh, organizations across the United States who've been doing intense organizing to get the senators in our states to uh, move along the right lines on this issue. All right. Well, that is another one that we'll be keeping a close eye on. Murad, thanks so much for all the time. I'm glad we got to touch on all these. Been wanting to catch up with you for a while. So uh, this was a, a good time to do it. Uh, appreciate appreciate all the time and uh, and be well. Thank you. And it's great to be on this show. Thanks so much, Ben.